Okay, what we're uh, studying or talking about tonight is uh, how to read or study the Bible and a book that uh, I've read and we're going to use part of it is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth with uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Gordon Fee is a conservative scholar in one of the seminaries on the New Testament, Douglas Stewart uh, on the Old Testament. Uh, another book along with it is Is My Bible the Inspired Word of God? Uh, this is different than a lot of books out in apologetics in that uh, uh, whereas most of the time they are dealing with the actual documents uh, written by Paul or, or the prophets, uh, he is dealing with uh, your actual translation of the scriptures. Uh, how much confidence can you have in it as being the inspired word of God? And as we go through here, I'd like for everybody to feel free to comment or ask questions or anything because in the not too distant future, I plan to cut a couple of tapes on this subject that we're going to use in conjunction with our Bible study and the outreach program at uh, church. And so any comments that you have uh, could be uh, beneficial in helping me in that. Uh, first of all, in uh, studying the Bible, to, to think of it, it's in, and from everybody here, our background is such, you, you, you might think, well, why even talk about it? We're all uh, studying the Bible. But years back when I became a Christian, I was uh, almost 19 when I became a Christian, and I initially had approached it from a background of skepticism. I did not go to church through high school and, and years uh, other than in my very, very early years. And I became a Christian only after I became convinced that the Bible was inspired of God. I, I would have never become a Christian had I not become convinced of that. But one of the interesting things to me after I became a Christian and, and started attending services is to realize how many professing, professing Christians really are, are not good students of the Bible. Uh, that uh, the majority, I may be wrong, those of you that have been brought up in the church and all, you know, feel free to correct me or make any comment. But my impression was that the majority of professing Christians were really not good students of the Bible. In other words, the, the Christian that actually will have studied the Bible from Genesis to Revelation would be the exception to the rule. And that uh, most Christians have have, I don't believe, read the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, much less uh, studied it all. Uh, it was interesting to me how many uh, Christians, uh, when it came to even a translation, uh, an, an indication to me that they didn't study much was that they thought of the King James Bible uh, almost as if it were dropped out of heaven by God and, and became very disturbed if um, any word or phrase or sentence was challenged as, as not being accurate and became very disturbed if people would read from other translations and not use terms like thee and thou as, as if they thought Peter and Paul used, you know, thee and thou. But, uh, so I mean, I'm saying that, that, is, that was interesting to me. One way it shows up today, think about your services. Uh, I think everybody here goes, uh, probably goes uh, somewhere. Uh, what of your traditional uh, time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, when do we always have the smallest attendance? 
Wednesday usually. Saturday and Sunday night. Okay, Sunday night, but Wednesday generally is smaller than Sunday night, isn't it? As a general rule. Um, and yet Wednesday night is generally the one night designated for Bible study. That's, that's the one night that the emphasis is put on Bible study. And then when you have Sunday morning, you have Bible study and then the worship service afterwards, but there is not as many people there. In fact, uh, a number of Christians never come to Bible study. On Sunday morning, they come to the sermon. Well, in the sermon, who does all the work? Preacher. Who does all the studying for it? The, the preacher. And so it's, it's very easy. Uh, you, you just sit back and you passively uh, take in the information. Uh, and, and if the singing's good, it can be an enjoyable also. Uh, but the, the work part and the effort part uh, is uh, the Bible class and then also Wednesday night. Now, even at that, the, the class, the very nature of your Bible classes in church is such that it's hard to study in depth. I mean, after all, you on Sunday morning, how much time do you generally have for the actual class itself? 45 minutes. Okay, about 45 minutes for the actual class. And you have uh, people that may be there that were not there the week before, and, and, uh, and it's hard to have a concert with people of all different backgrounds and somewhat out in, in the classes. And it's really difficult to, to study in depth because if you're going to study a book in depth, one of the most important parts of the study is the introduction. And, uh, and, to, and so when you try to study in a church setting, you may spend two whole periods, two entire periods, given the introduction and then get into the material, and then there are people that come in that miss the introduction, and so there are statements that you would like to make that will not make sense to them, or, or they'll be very disturbed if they missed uh, uh, the, the introduction there. So it's, it's difficult in that setting. Now, how many, what percentage would you say of Christians have, are involved in some kind of study separate from the studies in the church building? I would say less than 5%. <laughs> okay, what well, anybody? I mean, I, I bet it, it's a little number. Mm. Anybody chime about the research? Probably close. Okay, I, I'd say that's close. I mean, of uh, some type of study. What I mean is whether it's a ladies' study or a men's study or a study like this, but some where people get together to really study in an in-depth way. Uh, and really want to go at it and, 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 and get it and get to what is there and understand it as, as well as possible. I think that, uh, that uh, only a small percentage. Now, that's interesting to me. In fact, uh, what I found out through the years, Danny and I was talking on this somewhat today, that uh, if in your lessons you get into exegesis uh, much, and by the way, two words to keep in your mind that come up in Bible study and the various books you'll read, they'll come up in every one of them, is exegesis and hermeneutics. Uh, exegesis is where you look at the material, whether it's Isaiah or Matthew or 1 Corinthians or whatever, from the standpoint of what did it mean to the people that initially received it. In other words, what was its meaning? That's the exegesis of the passage. Not, not applying it to yourself. But what was the writer saying to the people of that day? How did they understand it? What was the purpose uh, then? 
Well, if you're going to do exegesis on a passage, what are you going to have to do, you think? If you're going to ask yourself, what is he doing? What, are, what does it mean to these people right at this time? What are you going to have to also study? About the time, historical. Okay, the historical. Background, customs. Okay, the background, the customs, the culture, the history, uh, language. Uh, I don't know any way that, uh, uh, that one could do exegesis on a passage without studying the historical setting, without studying the culture of, of that day, uh, without studying uh, some things about the language. Uh, I mean, every language has idioms uh, that uh, make perfect sense in that language, but if you don't know that idiom, it may not make sense to you at all. And if you don't know the idioms, it's possible to read something and take something as literal when in reality it's an idiom. And, and I can show you a number of examples where people take literal in the Bible things that were never understood as anything but idioms uh, to the uh, in figurative language, to the original uh, readers. <coughs> so to do exit, but the problem is when you get into the kind of thing that's involved in exegesis, it's, it's not sensational. Uh, you, you don't blow people away emotionally. I mean, it's hard to get real emotional when you're figuring out the exact meaning of a word and how, and, and how this word is used at this time and what the culture is and the setting and things like that. And so one of the reasons it's not dealt with uh, all that much is probably any number of uh, teachers uh, who have got into it have realized that they were boring a good percentage of the class when they got into that. I don't know if Brian's ever heard his dad complain along that line that if you... Uh, if you get too much into it, some make it obvious that they're actually bored, that uh, they're not interested in that. Sort of like the comment that uh, uh, you made, Mark, um, somebody mentioned you one time, they're not interested in the nuts and the bolts. Is they want to know is, is, is what can you do for me right now? And so the end result is, now we've already said that a lot of, most people don't study, that claim to be Christian, but as a result of this attitude, most of the sermons that are preached. And number one, he's only got about 25 or 30 minutes. That's all we want to set through. And so 25 or 30 <laughs> minutes. And that uh, what people want is some information that they can walk away with and apply to their lives right then. And, so, and that's good. There's a place for that. But the point is, what if all you get every week you don't go to Bible study, you don't have anything else going, and so you walk away with a nice little sermon that gives you some interesting things that you can't apply to your life. Uh, you'll never come to a, a real deep understanding of what's here, but not only that, let me ask you this. When the preacher brings forth those bits of information and asks you to apply it to your life, if you have never practiced exegesis of the passage, can you be for sure that he's using it accurately? All right. Hermeneutics involves taking the passage and applying it to yourself. But can a person do accurate hermeneutics if he has never bothered himself or herself with exegesis. 
What do you think? It's awful easy to distort a passage without. You know that book that um, Randy Harris and uh, Rubel Shelley um, did a few years back on the second incarnation? Mm -hmm. Right, I've got it. He had a he had a chapter in there on, on I guess basically what you're talking about. Hermeneutics, mm -hmm. right? He and he he talked a lot about you know the importance of using historical analysis and and so forth. And then another point he he made was that not only that, but all the passages have to be interpreted in light of Jesus's character. Okay, he was what he was talking about. I think he called his chapter the centric or something like that. I think he called his chapter the new hermeneutic, and he was challenging uh, some of the the older hermeneutics that were used, and and was saying that other things needed to be taken into consideration. And right, he had a you you really there is a, there is an actual formal process involved in interpretation, isn't it, of the scriptures? And then. Have you ever heard people make the statement, uh, you can't, you don't interpret the Bible, you just read it, it means what it says and says what it means? Yeah, and you also hear people say you can make the Bible say anything you want. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, have you ever said in a Bible class or the, uh, you know, whoever's teaching the class, everybody reads around a verse and, and then you comment and, and brother so-and-so, well, I, I guess it says what it means, it means what it says. What do you think about that, sister so-and-so? Well, I think it says that, you know, and then they, she reads her verse and and everybody goes on, and we've all been in those type classes. And, and if you say, well, uh, you know, you mentioned the word interpretation, and uh, that's almost a dirty word sometimes, that if uh, it's almost like you're going to pull a fast one and get away from what is actually there in, in the reading. Can you read without interpretation? Well, but you can, I mean... You can understand, I mean, the Bible's easy enough, I mean, like you could sit down with the New Testament and have a good, under, you know, basic understanding, you know, not in depth. But I'm saying that, is it possible to read anything, when people talk about interpretation, is it possible to read anything without interpretation? I mean, you mean uh, to read with understanding, right, you're uh, saying. Right. Otherwise, it's just words, you're saying. Right. You, uh... Depends there is interpretation, interpretation involved. We have kids in school, when we test kids on reading, we test them two ways, on vocabulary and then on uh, comprehension. And comprehension involves interpretation. And a child's reading ability is determined by his comprehension. And sometimes there are children that, uh, now you have to have a vocabulary to have comprehension. But you can have a kid that has a good vocabulary Barbara had an autistic child that could memorize any word you'd give him, but his comprehension was silch. And so, that, but there's, I'm saying there, there's no getting away from in, interpretation, that uh, that's an, uh, an inaccurate observation, that you know, you don't interpret, you just read. Everybody interprets. And the question is, what rules are we going to use to interpret? There's no such thing as reading it without having uh, interpretation. In fact, before you get the Bible, uh, as they translate it from the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek, is there a, any interpretation involved in the translation? There definitely is. It's not just a word-for-word -word thing because 
there are a lot of words that we do not have one English word that will represent. And, and so sometimes it takes a plurality of English words, but there is interpretation. And as we progress into the study next week, we'll give specific examples of where the translators uh, interpreted and that several times you come with two or three possibilities and there was interpretation on their part. So all we're saying is that there's nothing, uh, there's nothing bad or unchristian or disrespectful about interpreting. We all interpret. Uh, the question is, are we going to interpret with certain rules that are recognized and all, or are we just going to uh, do something and say it's not in not interpretation? Uh, Alpha, so was your you point say is you could call words, but not if you're going to really read with confidence. Right. There has to be. There has to be, and not only that. Let me ask you this: Is there when you interpret? So you is it just the words here that's involved? Is it just the words here that's involved in the interpretation? When you read passages in the Bible or anywhere else, are there just is is the material there the only thing that's involved in interpretation? Uh, the context, context and the historical. Okay. And and all what about you? Do you in any way enter into the interpretation? Biases and your okay. preconceived ideas. All your experiences. Uh, I was reading the other day, it was talking about, this was a book talking about the problem of, of reaching some people in our society with, uh, with the concept of, uh, of God as Father. And I had not thought of this before. It said that uh, God allows us to develop the concept as Father and then reveals Himself as our Father in Heaven. And we can only relate to that because we understand what a Father is. But he said that what they're finding out is that inner city children, the most of whom are being brought up without a father, are their father as a scoundrel. He's not a provider. He's not a protector. He's not somebody that sets a good example that this doesn't communicate anything to them. It just simply doesn't. They get no special feel out of it whatsoever, simply because they have not had that experience. Uh, I think uh, when we think in terms of God giving his son, how do you deal with that unless you understand the concepts? And I know that uh, I think Alba, Mark, all each of you guys that are, have been fathers and, and mothers would agree that uh, after I had children and reared them, I really believed I developed a better understanding of, of, where it, where of God giving his own son that I, I think I had more appreciation for it after I had children and, and realized the intensity of, of my feeling and all. And I'm not saying you have to have that because if you don't have it, you, you really have it because you've been a son or a daughter at one time and you have and you're around other people. So you can develop that concept. I'm not saying that. But you need that experience. Whether directly or indirectly, you have to have that experience. All right. So, Paul, are you, are you using interpretation and comprehension as synonyms? You're saying they mean basically the same thing? Uh, not necessarily, no. Okay. To, to comprehend, you have to interpret. But interpretation is the process you go through to comprehend something. And that uh, the, I'm saying that people, okay, let's, uh, does everybody read? First Corinthians, and uh, let's talk about Christians who are studious. Does everybody read First Corinthians and understand it the same? No, 
do just have one set of commentaries. Okay. No, and But they're reading from the same text, aren't they? Well, then, if they're reading from the same text and writing different things, then obviously there's more being brought to bear on that than just the, the text itself. And, and, even, and they all study, the, the scholars study the history and the culture and the language and, and, and things like that. And when we look around, let's look at uh, the religious world. Uh, first, I'll uh, state this and then make the following statement. I believe without reservation in my mind that salvation is 100% in Christ. And I don't believe any Christian is going to lose their soul because of being theologically wrong on some particular doctrine that they honestly misunderstand. It's, it's in Christ. So I'll say that first. But now, having said that, uh, is it true that uh, there are a lot of different understandings of various doctrines among Christians? Well, did uh, is the Bible a revelation? It, I mean, was that God, was that the Holy Spirit's intention that everybody have a different understanding? I don't think so. He calls him the Spirit of Truth, doesn't? He? And uh, and he, you read statements like, "You shall know the truth." And, and over and over it uses this term, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It uses that over and over. So, obviously, I'm thankful to God that salvation is by grace through faith because uh, I understand the frailty of man, and I'm saying that we come to the Word with a lot of biases and with a lot of different experiences. And one of the biggest things we have to overcome, now I'm saying that we've already acknowledged that in order to do sound exegesis, we need to study history and language, geography, some archaeology, the culture, all of this, right, in order to do sound exegesis. But then I'm saying that once we do the sound exegesis, and here's the interesting thing, I can show you a scholar from this denomination and a scholar from this denomination and a scholar from this denomination that each do exegesis on a passage and come to the same conclusion that this is what it meant to those people at that time and they each know the language they each know are aware of the archaeological discoveries they each were now they get into hermeneutics and each sometime come with a different application so obviously there's more involved in interpretation than just uh, going to the message and studying even history and the language and everything obviously we bring something to bear in our own personality, our own experiences, our own biases. And I'm going to suggest to you, to me, to all of us, that if we are not aware of this, and if we're not willing to challenge our own biases and our own background and all, then we can study the history and the language and all the other and still wind up with a wrong interpretation. I mean, after all, if these scholars each have three different interpretations, they can't all be right, can they? So, I mean, uh, they, they, and so that it's important to realize this. Uh, I don't believe any one of us ever perfectly escape our biases. Uh, I don't, uh, but we can head in that direction and to the extent that we are, the more accurate we're going to be on the passages itself. And so, when we think about reading the Bible for understanding, we're thinking in terms of, first of all, we've acknowledged that, that without sound exegesis, you're not going to have sound hermeneutics. 
that there you have to know what it actually meant to the people in that particular day. Who is saying what to whom and under what situation and, and what did it actually mean to the people in that day. And then from that point, we come and, and we begin to apply to ourselves, but then we, we have to realize that we do have certain biases and, and things like this. Now, what are some other factors involved in, let's forget about our personal biases, what are some other factors involved in the study of the Scripture? To come in from the standpoint of helping you come to understand something. Context. Okay, the, looking at the context, uh, the uh, King James translations used to be a little bit misleading here because how did they divide it up? Verses. Chapters and verses, and you had distinct verses, nothing wrong with a little marking. But the verses, the way they were divided up, left the impression that each verse was a thought. But in reality, sometimes a verse was only a half or a third of a sentence. And that sentence was in turn the part of a paragraph. And so it encouraged people to memorize individual verses and to read verses. And many times, individual verses were taken out of a sentence or out of a paragraph or out of a total context and you really can make, when we say that, uh, as Mark said earlier, that people make the statement, you can, you can make the Bible say anything. Well, that's one of the ways it's done. If you want to take a statement, or, and listen, go to our own experience with the life. Have you ever had anybody quote you exactly, and yet at the same time misrepresent you? Oh, yes. Mm. We've all had it. Well, what did they do? They quoted you exactly and yet still misrepresented you. Took you out of context. Took, took you out of context. What, when, when were the verses, the, I mean, when was the, the division of the verses actually made? Uh, I'm, uh, again, I may be wrong on this because I don't have it on top of it. I think it's somewhere around the 11th or 12th century before we get the verses the way we have I them now. I saw that written somewhere. And the chapters even come afterwards. If you'll notice when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it never says Isaiah chapter so-and-so, verse so-and-so. <laughs> it just quotes Isaiah. Well, th by the way, this lets you know something about those Jewish scholars. They were so well-versed in Isaiah and the law that they could just say Isaiah said. And the people were aware of that. I mean, they were very scholarly in that, and the lawyers and all, they, they knew it and were, were acquainted with it. But the chapters and verses uh, came afterwards, and by the way, there's nothing wrong. It's a handy reference system where we can let one another know where we are. But, one of the, but, it, but chapters and verses have actually been a problem in interpretation because people tend to think, well, this chapter sometimes, see, the chapters were divided up based on the individual's interpretation. And so you have chapters sometimes where the first sentence in a chapter really should be the last sentence in the chapter before. But once it was divided up and people got used to using it that way, they didn't change it. But we, there are a number of places, we'll get into that, of where the, uh, the first sentence really of a chapter should be the last in the previous. And there have been a number of uh, verses, especially in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and uh, uh, for example, you can uh, go to Ecclesiastes and and think about this thing of context and all, and and you can support the doctrine 
that the Jehovah's Witness uh, teach house to house, and that is that there is no spirit world, and that when you die, you're like Robert the dog, you're dead all over, and there will someday be a bodily resurrection, and you will live in a body here on this, on, on this earth. And obviously there has to be a reason why they believe that, doesn't it? And so they have their passages. And, and again, if you sit down, we have Christians that could be influential in talking with Jehovah's Witnesses if, they, if the Christians knew the context. I mean, the verses are there. They have the verses. Um, the question is the context. It was 1200s instead of 1100s. Okay, 1200. Uh, 12, yeah, it's 1250. Okay, so 13th century. 13th century. Okay. Yeah. And um, that, that was when it was divided into chapters, and then it wasn't divided into verses until 1560. Okay. And actually, keep in mind, the, uh, you have the 1500s before you have the first printed Bible. Okay, the printing press was invented, and up to then it's all, it's all copied. But the 1500s, and of course the Bible is the first book that's printed. But anyway, to remember when you read the Bible... Uh, number one, we're saying uh, to do exegesis, we need to know the history, we need to know something about the language, we need to know the culture, and the more of this you know, the more effective you can be. And, and that's why that, that uh, I constantly read archaeology as all the new books come out and, and all the various language books and things like that because we are never operating with 100% information. And so we're gathering facts and making a decision. And that's what you do all through life as finite beings. And so every time more information comes, and I'm not saying that all of this is essential to your salvation or anything like it. We've already settled that. But we're talking about coming to a full understanding of the Scriptures itself, that the more of these facts that come out, the better job you can do of exegesis of the material itself. And then also we need to remember as we come to it, we bring baggage to the reading itself. Uh, it's no accident that most people brought up in the Church of Christ wind up in what church? church and most people brought up in the Baptist Church wind up where? And most people brought up in the Methodist Church wind up where? We go on and on. Most people brought up in the Catholic Church. I mean, obviously that's not an accident. That it, it's obviously that, and are there equally sincere people within each of these groups? Yes. Are there saved people within each of these groups? I definitely believe so. But, but there are differences there. All right, now, what I would suggest to you now, one of the strong reasons for Bible study for Christians, and we're going to look at it for the non-Christian, but one is the scourge part of the scourge of Christianity is the division that exists among us. That to a, to a world out here that is uh, in unbelief and are not Christian, what do you think it looks like to them when they see us all divided up and yet telling them they need to be studying the Bible? And I would suggest to you that, that the, the, the division among us doesn't exist because one group is better than another or worse than another. It doesn't exist because one group has more bad people than another one. It doesn't exist because there are not sincere, dedicated people in each group. There are. I suggest to you that one of the reasons is, uh, is a lack of 
Bible study. And, and thank God for salvation by grace through faith that, that God is, you know, still saving us when we can. In fact, it's the interesting thing that among uh, Christian, the Christianity, those that literally believe the inspiration of the Bible, that's one great truth we're all in agreement on, aren't we? That we are saved by grace through faith and the particulars of the deity of Christ and all, we're, we're in agreement on, on that. And that's the major of the issue. But now let me throw this at you. If it's possible for us to be in agreement on, on the major issue, and really I believe the most complicated issue, uh, I think that uh, the most complicated thing of the Bible to me is Jesus. I mean, you got a God-man uh, that uh, born of a virgin, God and man at the, at the same time, able to be tempted, and, and yet uh, uh, God... Uh, Anybody that can comprehend that and, and the evidence that's involved in that is, is very complex uh, in, in supporting the deity of Christ. I'm talking about the prophecies and their fulfillment and the various eyewitness accounts that you have to compare, etc. Um, if we can understand that, then it seems to me that there may be more things could be understood also. And, it's like and, it kind of bothers us seemingly, though if we have to do more than just a casual reading, and not only just casual reading, it's like it bothers us if we can't just pick it up and read a chapter in the middle of a book or something. It's like it, it right. bothers us that, well, it can't be that complicated that I'd have to read the whole book. Paul, don't you think, though, that even the people that, um, even people that, you know, might, that it might bother when you say there's interpretation involved and everything would agree that if they're if they're a person who reads the Bible a lot would say that they that they understand the Bible more now than they did ten years ago mm -hmm. and everybody that I've ever heard say well I read the Bible through once a year or whatever they say every time I read I find something new. Right. And, and, and So what they're really saying is that very thing that there is interpretation, right? Right, and 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 in the depth, you know, I mean, the depth. I mean, you can study it for an entire lifetime, and and no one I know, you know, claims to have, you know, a full. I mean, the total understanding of it, and so it's just like you can. It's almost like an an oh, onion. Right. You can just you can unravel, you know, just keep unraveling, and right. getting deeper and deeper and deeper and but, deeper, and it's like it's. But let me ask you this. I'm getting. First of all, I think most don't study as deep as what you're talking about. I honestly don't. And I, know, I remember a statement even, forget about the Bible, Thomas Jefferson made the observation in politics that 2% uh, of the people did the studying for the rest. Uh, I believe the same thing in, in any discipline, that you have a, a small percentage of people that really... Uh, studying is hard work. Uh, and I think that... Uh, with it, there is the assumption of the very thing you're saying, you know, concerning that, uh, you know, the statement. Let me ask you this. It, does the Bible claim to be a revelation? Okay, what do we mean by revelation? An unveiling. An unveiling is it. In other words, when, when the information was initially given, did the prophet or the apostle expect the people he spoke to to understand him? When Jesus talked, did he want people to understand him? Okay, sometimes when people did not understand Jesus, 
did he blame the way he said it or blame them? Blame them. Okay. Hard-hearted, prejudiced. Uh, Hosea 4 and verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That uh, they weren't, and remember when Moses gave them the law, he said, study it diligently, talk about it in your house, talk about it when you walk, uh, nail it on your doorpost and your lintel, and then Moses and that generation dies, and what do we have? They've already left. They obviously didn't do it. And then we would have a, a prophet or a judge arise and, and began to teach the people, and, and we'll have a big restoration again. And remember in the history of Israel, they would, they would go into apostasy, and then there would come a king like Josiah that, uh, remember what happened in Josiah's day? They lost the law. They, the, guy, the guy comes from the temple, and they had found a copy of the law. Nobody had been reading it. And so then they went and found a prophet, in this case a prophetess. It was a prophetess Holda, uh, who interpreted to them and, and told them the consequences that were coming on them because of their ignorance of, of the law. And Josiah read the entire thing and, and he set out the priest to read it to everybody. But uh, the, I'm saying that it is supposed to be a revelation. And we are, we commanded to study. Okay. Okay, in fact, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young minister, and he has the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? That through the laying on of Paul's hands that's mentioned. And he says, Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be put to shame, handling to write the word of truth. Now, take that in the reverse. What is he saying to Timothy if you don't study? You're going to be put to shame. You're going to be put to shame. Uh, don't, hand in write the word of God that you be not put to shame. And you stand approved of God. In other words, you're going to be put to shame. You're not going to be approved of God. But it was contingent upon his studying. Uh, did you know that probably, probably most sermons that are preached in the religious world are preached from having read that particular sermon, or heard it on tape, and then the then the sermon is simply presented uh, presented many times without uh, the minister himself actually challenging the material and checking it out. Uh, nothing wrong with listening to it. I listen to tapes of sermons. I read. I love to read sermons. I love to hear good preachers. And if if somebody uses an illustration, I'll use it. Uh, or, or anything like it. But what I'm saying is that how do you know what you're dealing with is true if you do not first take the R's to do exegesis. And I'm saying exegesis is hard work. You don't do it in 30 minutes uh, every now and then. And, and so I'm saying even among ministers, many of them are so bogged down doing a multitude of other things that they really are not good students of the book itself. And so if we have that with the, with the ministers, then obviously we have it, uh, we have it uh, further out. But yet we've looked and we've said that it is the will of God that you study. Now, another question. If indeed it is the word of God, and that, of course, is determined by other material-like evidences, if it is the word of God, How do you keep from having a desire 
to study it and understand it as, as, as good as you possibly can. I mean, if it is, see, that was a part that I had a hard time understanding. Because how can you actually, and, and I, I know when I harp on evidences that people want to you know, say, oh, I believe, you know. How can you believe and not have a desire to really study? I mean, see, you guys, uh, I mean, you just think, the, the ones here, the amount of effort that you all put out in comparison to some others. I mean, that, I mean, uh, you, you two, for example, you two were almost unbelievable to me the years that you were driving that distance up into Grundy County for a, for a study like that. And, and then uh, the, the effort, I mean, to put forth even since I've been here and others that do that. But I'm saying you obviously believe, but I'm saying how can you believe that it is the Word of God and not have a desire to actually study it? It's almost a contradiction. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's like saying here is a letter from a loved one and, and you, you give it a casual glance and say, well, I'll read the rest of it when I've got time, you know. And it's from somebody you say you love. Well, if you get a letter from somebody that loves you and you love them, you read the letter. You read the letter. Or you've got a contradiction in, in terms there. That uh, I'm saying that Bible study is, is commanded it is essential, and I suggest to you that one of the reasons it's not studied is simply because there's, there is real hard work involved uh, in exegesis. And, and one of the reasons that most people want, want to do hermeneutics, hermeneutics is the fun part. And that's, that's where you just take it and you apply it to yourself, you know, or to somebody else. That's the, the, the work part is the exegesis. But I would suggest to you that the hermeneutics can be no more accurate than the exegesis behind it. And you and this guy that's doing good hermeneutics, uh, he may not be doing the exegesis, but somebody has. He's had to, he's had to get it from somebody that, that did. And I would suggest to you that maybe there could be more unity among us. And maybe that we would not be sending out so many contradictory statements to the people. I mean, we all, in all the religious groups, we want to reach people that are not in Christ, because that's where that's where salvation is. We, we want to change this world we live in. I don't know how you're going to do that. I don't, the Republicans can do everything they want to, and the Democrats can do everything they want to. I don't believe anybody changes except through conversion to Christ. Uh, I think uh, that they may, may have different philosophies, but I think there's just as many uh, dishonest people in one party as the other. I may be wrong there, and, and I have my favorite because one pursues my philosophy much closer than the other. But still, uh, I, I see I don't. The answer that I can see for changing is is in Christ, and and I think we can talk about the the unwed mothers out here and all these children born without uh, a responsible dad, and we can talk about all the guys and people out there on drugs and doing things. But I don't believe the government is going to come up with a program to change this. I, the only people I have seen change in life have been people uh, that have, the only good people I see, they're people brought up in a certain way. And the only bad people I've seen become good are those who have been changed by Christ. And I know when I look at my own life, I don't believe anything would have changed me except this. I just don't, uh, I, I mean, I was a very cocky, proud individual. And uh, my attitude was, what, what is in it for me? 
and I don't believe anybody would have ever changed my thinking except becoming convinced first that this was inspired and then allowing that to influence me. So I'm saying it's, I don't believe that we can engage in anything more important than a study of the scriptures. It's worth the effort uh, to get into it. And I don't believe that any one of us can do anything more important in life. And then when it comes to applying this, uh, before we make strong statements to people, uh, we, uh, whether we're talking about divorce and remarriage and, or whatever it is, we need to be sure that we have actually studied the material. I mean, it's no accident that there are different views on that. And we need to be sure that, because, I mean, the world we deal with is out there uh, involved in all of this, and they, they want uh, answers and all. And so we ought to at least be sure that we, we have studied it and we feel confident uh, as a result of the, the study itself. Any comments before we get ready to wrap this up for tonight? <laughs> Well, it, 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 in a way, it's it's discouraging, though. I mean, because you think about the time involved in everything, and you just think, you know, I mean, just like, you know, where are you going to come up with the time to do? I mean, most people, if they have the time, they're just going to sit down and read, you know, the Bible. I mean, as opposed to what I'm saying is, I mean, like you say, you read archaeology and history and, right. and all. Well, I'm not saying everybody has to do all of somebody. I can tell if they miss a note or they're out of culture or anything like that. And so in the same way, I'm saying you can learn where the material is and how to evaluate the material and all like that. And on the time, Mark, the any big task is made simple how? We do it in every field. By studying, and you break it down. And what about the field you're in, chemistry? You think there's anything in here that would be more complicated than what you deal with in chemistry? I don't think this. See, I think the average person could not understand the level of chemistry that you two operate as a pharmacist. I don't believe the average person could be a pharmacist. I think you have to have above average ability to be a pharmacist. And so. I don't think you have to have above average ability to understand all the essentials of your salvation and the life you're to live and how to lead others and, and, and things like that. So I'm saying it's not an, it's not a, uh, a, an impossible task. And we, we learn things by learning in small units, right? Isn't that the way you learn, Kim? You start out and you memorize the symbols, or if they still do it that way now. And then you, you just work with them and you become more familiar, okay? Simple to the complex. Another thing, right. Paul, is uh, almost everybody's an expert in something. I mean, whether it's the statistics on football or <laughs> playing basketball or, or whatever their hobbies are. I mean, whatever you spend your time at, you're usually pretty good at it. Right. And you can uh, uh, have a doctor's degree and chemistry or engineering and not be knowledgeable here and it, it, it wherever you spend an element of time all right what would happen if the average Christian said I'm gonna cut my TV viewing in half and that half will be devoted to uh, the study of the scriptures <laughs> 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 we'd have people 
All right, now, one of the difference, by the way, uh, in years past, again, just, just an opinion on that, scholarship was greater among Christian years past in our society because we didn't have all the entertainment type things and people did spend a lot of time quoting the scriptures. I mean that uh, people definitely used to spend a lot of time with the book and when I read from some of the commentators of the past century, they may lack some of the new discoveries in archaeology but their scholarship is hard to top. I mean they were fluent in the languages, they knew the culture, uh, they are very familiar with the text and all, but they obviously spend a number of hours each day. And of course, the, these guys work, I'm not saying that somebody out here with a job can study as much as somebody that's working full time. You know, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that, that everybody can be a sufficient scholar to break down a lot of the disunity, to make accurate applications to other people, and to do a better job of uh, teaching others and to have a much deeper understanding that would lead to a deeper faith and deeper love and everything himself. That, that, that possibility is there. I don't, you know, I don't think God has given us anything that we can't master. The, I mean, that uh, the same God that gave us this, gave us this right there. And I don't, I don't believe he gave us a mismatch. I, I, I really believe that as human beings, what we call average is super intelligent. I mean, we are, we are so intelligent that it, uh, just like David would say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that we're so intelligent it's almost unbelievable. But I think we do have, and it's worth studying, and the next time we're going to take it some, some individual passages and look at how culture, some specific examples of passages that you can read without some information from history and culture and, and language and see what you'll come to. And then we'll look at those same passages in light of some history and culture and, and language. And then we'll also look at uh, passages from a standpoint of uh, putting them in context and seeing them used in, in other ways, uh, out, of con out of context itself. And then we'll also look at some examples of how our own biases uh, get into the process and, and some ways to guard there. Any other comment before we close for tonight? I think you made a good point about um, what you started to say about we have more entertainment things now. I think that's one reason we don't have people scholars anymore. Because, I mean, scholars, to be a scholar you have to work at it. And why work at it when you can just hit a remote control and go brain dead for a few hours? You know what I mean? It, it takes work to be a scholar, whereas, and it's not fun. It is not fun to do. I mean, it's the most boring thing. A lot of times to read a book and to, to really gain knowledge because once once you once you get the background of something, then it becomes fun once you... Well, it's just like our attitude towards uh, certain things in other areas, Brian, that... Uh, that uh, they have all these articles that people write and, and they make all kinds of money telling everybody to get physically fit mm -hmm. by not doing any exercise and eating what you want. Right. Mm -hmm. It's an impossibility. Right. Uh, that you have to be willing to take the time mm -hmm. to exercise or you're not going to be right. physically fit. It's that simple. You, you can't be it without it. And there's, mm -hmm. there's no concoction, no pill, no anything that can substitute for 30 or so minutes actual exercise, you know. I know in my family that um, my father, of course, a preacher, he, he studies frequently. He has to for his... So I was brought up, you know, to read, be literate, study, you know. And I thank 
goodness that I was like that because, you know, I, I enjoy learning. I enjoy searching, you know, for, for something new, whereas a lot of people don't. A lot of people just want to sit there and be happy with what they have, you know, and I, sometimes that's good, but sometimes you grow stagnant in your beliefs. I mean, what our position, though, as Christians, I think, what we're going to also, what we've got to do is what, what is it that we say to get the other people interested in studying. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, I didn't just walk in, pick up a book, and start the Bible and start reading it. You guys may have. See, you had a different background. Mm -hmm. But if that Bible had waited on me to just pick it up and start reading it, it'd still be waiting. Yeah. Number one, it's not as simple as some Christians say. They say, it's when not. I pick it up and read it, I didn't understand a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And Isaiah blew me away. And, and, and Revelation, you're like, hey, that guy's crazy, you know. And so it, it wasn't that way. It took a Christian who had been studied and, and who got me interested and, and convinced me that I could understand it and that, uh, and that there was evidence for it. And then I took it from there. Uh, isn't that the way people get interested in sports or hunting or anything? Mark hunts because he comes from a background where some adult male took an interest in him and he hunts and he fishes. I don't hunt or fish either one because I didn't have a dad uh, in the early years. Nobody ever took me hunting or fishing and and I don't even understand how anybody would like to hunt or fish. <laughs> <laughs> but Mark could care less about basketball and I could spend some time each day playing it and I could watch a game every day. I love the sport. But it was an adult who got me interested in it as a child and worked with me and then I developed that interest. Uh, and if they got interested in chemistry or Mark in engineering, there was somebody that said some things to get them interested in it in the first place. And I think in the same way, we as Christians have the responsibility to get other people interested uh, in the scriptures. You know, one thing that I've thought about a kind of an analogy is that uh, if you found out you had a terminal cancer or, or some type of cancer and somebody said, here's a book that contains information that will cure you of your cancer, you'd be pretty interested in that book. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have cancer, you wouldn't be all that interested. Okay, and what you hit on is one of the things that we need to be willing to do and we shy away from. Uh, people need to be reminded that they're going to die. See, in fact, all of us do have terminal cancer. Right. It contains information that will cure it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we get so shook up over AIDS and cancer and all that good stuff, and we all have terminal cancer. We're all, we're all headed out of here. Uh, Marshall Keeble, I was reading, he's a, for those of you that don't know him, he was a black preacher that baptized, they said, over 40,000 people, started over 250 churches. And so I was reading from a 1964 publication on him today, and he made the statement that, uh, uh, in fact, that was back then, how that uh, prosperity was the enemy of religion. And he said that we, as we have our health insurance policies and we have all our other insurance and we have our good jobs and our cars and our houses and everything like that, we come to feel very self-sufficient. And, and then he pointed out that God still through sickness and disease and death and calamities and all. He, he keeps us awake, but we, it's, it is that people tend to be more concerned spiritually when times are hard. Okay, we'll pick up and start with that uh, next week.